this uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host Brandon Joe, and my host Nick, not Dan. Dan is on that extended stay plan in Disney. Nick, what kind of PTO plan did we give him? <laughs> I mean, this is this is crazy. I, you know, you let a let a guy go for a weekend. You're like, oh, you know, he'll be back at some point. Mm-mm. Hits nope. hits hits us up on the DM. Said, yeah, boys, I'm staying through Thursday. So you're on your own until until Spurs. So uh, he, here he we are. But he didn't even leave us money for pizza or anything. No, nothing. <laughs> a- absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. But he did at least connect us with this guy named Joe Tweed. So we've got ah. Tweed staying up late to do the podcast with us. So Tweed, sir, how how are you doing? Yeah, life's good. Really good at the moment. And uh, yeah, I think we've started the season particularly well. So it's uh, nice to jump on the main pod and have a bit of a chat about the uh, festivities today. Yes. Uh, but unfor- unfortunately, before we get into festivities, uh, there are a couple things we want to touch on that are a little bit more sentimental. And first and foremost, it's uh, would have been Ray Wilkins' birthday today. Um, which is actually a weird thing to think about, Nick, for us personally, because we were actually at Cobham when on the day Ray Wilkins passed away and to see uh, kind of the staff just jump into action because they realized how important he is to the club was kind of a surreal thing for us to to witness in person. Yeah, I mean, this sure we've said this a million times, but it's just bears repeating every time I think about him. Um, you know, I didn't see him play back in the seventies, obviously, and only knew him as a, as an assistant coach, but when it was our first ever chance to go to Cobham, first ever chance to interview players back in, in 2017, in the spring. And I mean, it was just the most sad, somber atmosphere we could have possibly imagined. And, you know, we left there and obviously you saw the, all the tributes at the bridge after that and everything. And. Every time Ray Wilkins comes up on the Twitter uh, memories or whatever, that radio interview from TalkSport comes up as well with the the veteran who was kind of out on his luck who called in and shared that incredible story about about Ray. And it's just it, – it makes you sad and it makes you smile, um, you know, all at the same time. And uh, it's just, you know, Joe, we, we miss him, man. Yeah, and I think just something for for fans who who maybe not know him as a player. Um, I grew up very much around a family who who saw Ray play or Butch Wilkins as he was known mm-hmm. to to Chelsea fans. And one thing that I want to to sort of say before telling a, a kind of a really nice anecdote from Jody Morris about him, um, he was an incredible incredible midfielder. He was such a fantastic footballer. Um, I think, you know, my dad often said that he was very much ahead of his times. He's a ball player. You know, people used to call him the the crab back in the 70s because he was such a, a tactically astute player, you know, like sort of a, a John A.B. McKell kind of of, of his time. Um, obviously, he went to play in Italy, had huge success there. But kind of all in all, if you were putting together maybe like an all-time Chelsea squad, I think he walks into it as well. So for, for people that are maybe, you know, seen him as a coach, assistant coach at Chelsea, still has, or still, I think, has the 100% record of managing Chelsea to, in one game and winning. So he obviously still has that going for him as well. But as a, as a player, um, he was absolutely incredible. And there's this particular Jodie Morris anecdote about him where Jodie was talking about him um, being injured and, and sort of being a bit sort of restless in the in the physio room. And Ray sort of got him out of there and kind of kind of you know saw what was going on and invited him to come and referee a game. 
and Jody being sort of young and cheeky looked at sort of Ray's watch at the time and Ray Wilkins is like a Rolex man he's a very classic you know very nice <laughs> nice watches um noticed that he's wearing sort of a an Amiga at this point and and Jody's sort of giving him a look and sort of pulled Ray up on the on the watch and Wilkins has uh you know in Jody's words given him sort of a young pup smile I think is, is how he described it and uh took the watch off and handed it to Jody and said like look at the back of it and on the back you've got an AC Milan crest and then Franco Baresi's testimonial and again for people who are familiar with Franco Baresi possibly the greatest centre-back that's ever played football um you know Italian legend AC Milan legend and I think that was Ray's way of showing you know yes I've got Rolexes but also there are these kind of little 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 touches and little bits of class that I've got in my pocket as well but the fact that he had that and he gave it to Jody and Jody telling that story I think was was really nice as well I mean just an unbelievably uh just outpouring person you know always putting others before himself um always loved hearing the 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 Chelsea fan cast you know, um, mm-hmm. history and review series where they go back and hearing about him. My word, everyone that watched him play were devastated when the club had to sell him uh, due to the financial mess they're in at the time. And he went to United and was super successful there. Uh, but again, having him be able to come back to the club and be so, uh, so important, especially with uh, Carlo and, and just being a part of the club. Um, it's worth if you're unfamiliar with Ray to to read and watch the videos. There's a lot of stuff out there because of just how important he was. And a heartfelt tweet from Ross Wilkins, which would be Ray's son, said would have been Dad's birthday today. Still can't believe he's not here to celebrate it with us. Never out of our thoughts, forever loved. We all miss you, uh, which a lot of Chelsea fans uh, tweeted about, and that would have been why. Uh, and then secondly, I mean, Nick, this one came out of left field. Definitely. I mean, obviously I didn't know, but to be fair, I had no right to know, uh, as this is about someone's personal life and things, but sadly, uh, comedy legend, Norm Macdonald passed away. And I know you're huge into comics and in comedy and things like that. So I know this is probably a, uh, a big one for you. Yeah. I, I cried a few tears today, guys. I'm not going to lie. I think one of the, one of the cool things about podcasts um, is that you get to know the hosts on a more personal level than you would many other mediums, right? Um, so uh, I'll, I'll give you a little cue into me as a human being. I love stand-up comedy. I think it is the hardest art form to potentially perform and to perform at the level uh, that he did for as long as he did uh, was an incredible feat. Um, you know, it's not to it's not to downplay other art forms like podcasting, for example, which is very hard. But um, but I mean, Norm is on my Mount Rushmore of comedians. He was unbelievable. Uh, he had this incredible dry sense of humor where he was ahead of the joke every single time and was waiting for you to catch up to it. And he was unafraid to do the right thing. Um, you know, there's a famous story that when. Uh, the OJ verdict was was handed down that the execs at NBC um, told him to lay off of OJ. And every single week for a period of eight weeks, he just pounded the absolute crap out of OJ on Weekend Update on SNL. And that was his way of just saying, no, nah, I'm not going to. And then he got fired for it. Um, it's, you know, he... He just was everything, you know, and was so great as Burt Reynolds on Celebrity Jeopardy and all these different skits. So uh, I just, you know, I'm, I'm raising up a bourbon uh, to Norm tonight. I, I He had cancer for nine years and no one knew it. <laughs> like, I mean, that's just, it's wild to kind of think about. And one final, one final thing about Norm. Uh, he 
had had this joke series about about battles with cancer and it had gone this you know it's a very long joke as most of them are that it's a windy road that he tells but he says i'm pretty sure i'm not a doctor but i'm pretty sure if you die the cancer dies at the same time that's not a loss that's a draw so to draws and to uh to norm mcdonald and I, I guess to to round this out is it just seems to be appropriate times to look back at people we've lost recently. You know, Tweeds, you'd mentioned that Sean Locke, mm-hmm. massive Chelsea fan, has passed away recently, more UK based. Um, so I'll let you kind of touch on on his role within Chelsea. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's he's one of the I think comedians would say he's like a comedian's comedian. You know, he's his stand-up was incredible. He was on a lot of sort of these uh, panel type shows and. The number of times I've seen him just make jokes that have disrupted the entire flow of a show because it's got everybody on the panel just completely off the cadence of the show. You know, a real, real top person. That I think he's he's been in some fantastic sitcoms that he's wrote and starred in as well. But I think importantly, you know, a, an enormous Chelsea fan. And I think the club paid, uh, you know, sort of respects to him during the Aston Villa game, which was really, really nice to see. But um, very traditional sort of London guy, very down to earth. Um, I think my dad's even had him in, in his cab at some points as well. Just a really, really nice guy. Um, but one of the one of the funniest people. And again, a, you know, for, for fans in America, if you go on YouTube and just search uh, eight out of 10 cats does countdown. Um, sorry, does countdown. Um, there's a like a 10, 15 minute uh, sort of, uh, I suppose, dedication to him. And it genuinely is some of the funniest stuff that you'll see on television. But yeah, he's a he was a really, really top guy. Another one who I think battled cancer in, in silence, which is... Uh, really, really sad to see and, and had huge contributions to, to charities in London as well. And I think particularly um, during the, the pandemic, he raised an awful lot of money for, for some uh, charities that were, were feeding sort of the, the kind of the, the needy and people who were, weren't able to to afford meals, etc. So, you know, nice guy away from football, really, really funny guy on television, but importantly, uh, an absolutely enormous Chelsea fan and somebody that I think they the club will, will miss dearly sort of over the, the next few years and, and beyond. I will also trade you um, Sean Locke's eight out of ten cats joke for Norm Macdonald's moth joke. So if you're if you're on the on the YouTube's, go to Sean Locke first, go to Norm second, have yourself a laugh tonight. So I just wrap saying, look, this is all part of like Chelsea's community, Chelsea's culture, Chelsea's history. So if you're wondering why we've taken ten minutes to get into the episode, it's an educational piece, right? And it's also paying respects to those who have honestly helped Chelsea get to the point that we are where we are reigning champions of Europe as we kick off the the group stage of the Champions League. So um, now we can go ahead and take a a hard right and and head into the match review. So we're going to be talking about a moment of magic that helped Chelsea pass a tough test from a resilient group of Russians. We're going to talk about how Chelsea might improve an attack against low blocks because we left it late. And there's a room to worry about key individual performances, not the best from some of the players we've become reliant upon recently. And then obviously we'll wrap with looking at the UCL group uh, and a pleasant result for another Premier League club, smiley wink face. So uh, we want to get a temp check of the people. Nick, you did such a good job last time. Uh, Let's get in with the three-word match review. Look, first of all, if you pander to me uh, in in Discord, you know you're making it on. So uh, Jeremy88 <laughs> with Nick's crystal balls, which was hilarious. It was really well done. On a night where I needed a laugh, I, I appreciated that. Uh, motor mount with one for Ray. You know, we got we to gotta reference old, old Ray Wilkins there. Uh, Burt Cubed with Rom's Zenit before. Seen it before, Zenit before. I like that. Uh, Adi Joseph with Oligarch over Russia. 
tough but fair. Uh, John Dolezal with Ram Zing Zenit. Uh, Rick Glanville making an appearance here. I love that. Exquisite headed winner. Uh, football opinions with Assis Piloqueta to Murat Lukaku. So crossed out the Murata there, which is nice. Josh Clark with <laughs> Lukaku 69. <laughs> nice. Uh, so that was, that was phenomenal. Uh, Kieran with money well spent, obviously. And then Kevin Brogel with, uh, with one out of uh, Tweed's playbook here. Accept his inevitability. <laughs> I like the yeah. uh, the nod to Gronkowski there from uh, from Josh Clark. <laughs> it's well done. Yeah. Uh, for for the, our host ones, I put it gets better question mark. Um, obviously, Juve uh, dismantling Malmo, which you just expect. But uh, at home against Zenit, hopefully it, it gets better from here on out because we're going to need that. Uh, Tweeds, what about you? Yeah, Brandon, was that a Ron Burgundy voice that I spotted when you uh, when you gave it? Was. That it gets better. Yeah, yep. um, I went with Ron rinse repeat because it's just becoming seems to be the standard fair now. Get it to Lukaku, and Lukaku wins the game. Yeah, I wonder what Timo's thinking. But anyways, we can get to that later. Nick, round it out with you. Moment of magic. Really lame, but uh, but fair. It definitely was a good summation, but. Instead of us moving right along, we do have an honorable mention, Nick. Oh yeah, this was this was too good for me to pass up. Uh, th- this person didn't even try for the three word match review, but it was so good I included it anyway. Uh, from Maine OU, not a three word match review, but yes, I'm now convinced that we can do it on a cold night at Stoke. So, I mean, if you need to know anything else, uh, that's what you got to know, right there. Too bad Stoke can't do it on a cold night because they're not in the Premier League. So, uh, anyways, we sadly don't have any Patreon subscribers. Cheers to that, by the way. Fuck Stoke. <laughs> we don't have any Patreon subscribers or Apple Podcast reviews, so we're going to skip right into... What the hell? I know. Come the, on. The match review. They clearly realized Dan was not around, so they didn't feel like it was necessary, but uh, nonetheless... We also are putting out a pod about every uh, weekday as well. Uh, So this one was Zenit St. Petersburg this past Tuesday, the 14th of September. And it was the Champions League. Jake the klaxon horn right there. Uh, Hopefully he edited my terrible version out and let the real one Mm -hmm. ring. Uh, But it was at Stanford Bridge in case you somehow missed it. The scoreline was Chelsea 1, Zenit 0. But before that, Tweeds, what a lineup on the pitch. Uh, they didn't dance out the trophy in front of Zenit, but they sure shit put out those uh, individual accolades pre-match. Yeah, and I don't know if this is just me being vindictive, but I'm still upset that one of the Chelsea defenders didn't win the award. I thought if there was a year for a clean sweep, you know, you've just broken the uh, the record for least amount of goals conceded in a Champions League win, you know, least amount of time being behind for the entirety of the tournament. And yet Azpilicueta or Rudiger couldn't pick up the award itself. But yeah, that, that was a really nice moment. And I think, again, for um, the, the the kind of noise in the stadium at that point as well was was incredible to see the, the support that the players got. And also Tuchel, mm-hmm. uh, when Tuchel picked the award up, it went up a few decibels as well. So yeah, really, really nice to see. Um, again, I think very much deserved in, in, in sort of all counts as well. But yeah, that... That defensive ward, I wanted the clean sweep. Maybe I'm being a bit uh, a bit greedy there, but you know, as I say, when you when you break the kind of records that we did on the way to winning the trophy, the fact that one of our defenders in the best defensive performance that's probably ever happened in a European Cup ever didn't pick up the award is a bit strange to me. But yeah, we'll we'll get it this season. I wish they would have just made 
Dave one of those and just like had him pose next to the like slightly off of the four, <laughs> but like they just made him like a homemade one or something like that. That would have been amazing. Like the Ashley Cole lean in at Roma. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just so, leaning on the awards. Yeah. And then just to clarify, we have Ingolo Conte with his, his midfield of the year award and Jorginho with uh, player of the year award, Tuchel with the manager of the year and Mendy with goalkeeper of the year. So again, tweets Ruben Diash. Uh, living rent-free in your head, apparently. Uh, <laughs> the lineup, though, we have many between the sticks. We have a back three of Aspie, Christensen, Rudiger. Uh, the middle four of Reese James, Kovacic, Jorginho, Alonso. Not Captain Alonso, though, obviously. And then up front, we've got Mount Ziyech right in behind Romelu Lukaku. Uh, then from there, we had subs bench of Keppa, Thiago Silva, Timo Werner, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Trevor Chalaba, Saul Barkley, Calum Hudson-Roy, Ben Chilwell, Kai Havertz, Malang Sar, Lucas Bergstrom making the bench. That's right. If you listen to our youth updates, you'll hear about him from the dev squad. Uh, and then lastly, Thiago Silva, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Chilwell, and Kai Havertz were the four subs out of a possible five. Uh, Nick, go ahead and run us through some of the top line stats. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be rough. 11 shots for Chelsea, two on target. Um, that's what we call not good enough. Uh, 67% possession. I actually thought that would be higher, frankly. 804 passes, 91% pass accuracy, nine fouls, uh, one yellow card, and seven corners to Zenit. Six shots, two on target, um, 33% possession, about half the passes, uh, 84% pass accuracy, and four corners. Uh, so, yeah, uh, not not our best statistical day out uh, or day out in general. Uh, yeah. And to statistically prove that tweets, we have the at XG philosophy saying Chelsea had a 0.82 to then it's 1.1 shit housery at its finest. Yeah, this is, uh, this felt a little bit like some of those games we were playing in last season. Um, I know we're going to talk about him in a bit more detail, but the, the main difference is obviously the main man up front. You know, the uh, the, the anti-XG disciple that is Romelu Lukaku, who uh, seems to be breaking a lot of these these XG sort of statistics. But again, I think, you know, it's points I've made on the podcast quite a bit in that I, I still don't think that this side is, is the most uh, creative in terms of high quality shots, in terms of creativity in general. Um, but 0.82 at home to Zenit. Yes, you know, they played 10 men behind the ball, but still... Um, you know, we were camped inside their half for the majority of the game. You would hope at least to, to see that maybe doubled. I don't think that's necessarily a, a huge um, stretch to say that. But uh, I don't think this will be the only game this season that we will um, outperform our, our XG in a positive manner. But then obviously the flip side being that maybe we haven't necessarily had the most creative game there. So yeah, swings and swings and roundabouts. How about this? If we're 0.82 and they're defending with 10, you would expect their XG to be far less than ours because they're yeah. defending the whole time. Like at a minimum, if you're going to trade that. Um, but, you know, we do have another NPET shithouse moment of the match. Again, <laughs> NPET being the Nick patented eye test. And that it is was. Correct. Look, uh, this is a stat on par with XG, right? I mean, it's an observation. <laughs> uh, I think more people like it, actually. It's probably more valid in the match. But uh, Rudiger, in my mind, uh, has probably a huge claim on this to the end of the year, but he did the, uh, his best impression of Kurt Zuma from Ajax a couple of seasons ago, uh, <laughs> minus the stepovers, but far more speed, uh, to carry the ball 
eight, probably 80 yards in total uh, from defense all the way up to the uh, opposition goal. Uh, did not quite have the finish. Finished it wide instead of Zuma's uh, Rosed uh, screamer that he hit a couple of years ago. But this was, I think, every time we get one of these like runs from deep, everyone just kind of stands up like, "Oh my God, is it going to happen? Is today the day?" No, it's not going to happen. But it was still shit house, and I loved it, and I'm very happy that it happened. Yeah, too many rem- memories of Eden Hazard actually doing it, but when we have center backs doing it, <laughs> not as much. Uh, clearly, Rudiger was very uncomfortable at where he was on the pitch and just booted it so he had enough time to sprint back to his rightful position. Uh, at expected, Chelsea had a couple of stats. Uh, the one that we wanted to pull out right away was it was Edouard Mendy's 50th Chelsea game. Are you kidding me? He's already at 50 matches, but... You know, I guess when you're brought in as a starter, you're probably going to play everything. Uh, Anyways, how about this? Out of 50 matches, 29 clean sheets, 31 wins, 107 saves, a (laughs) 79.34% save percentage, Champions League and Super Cup winner, and the UEFA goalkeeper of the season, as we'd mentioned. Uh, And then not to be outdone, Aspie Laquita plays his 50th UCL game for Chelsea. Uh, Thank you to Naz over at Goal.com. Uh, bargain signing Edouard Mendy. That is that is gonna go down. Seventy nine percent save percentage is crazy, man. Yeah. Keppa was at like forty eight for that season. <laughs> yeah, that was that was really bad at that point. I mean, we were like defending with our lives that if we got a, if they got a shot off, it it, it was literally fifty fifty going in. It, it mm-hmm. was a bad moment. Um, but we're gonna take our break when we get back. Uh, we're gonna jump right into the moment of magic that helped Chelsea get the lead and and eventually the victory and so much more so thank you to the sponsors for financially supporting the show we'll be right back all right nick flips out of the break we do have at least two more episodes coming out this week but we actually dropped one today that is right uh as as you'll know from your podcast feeds the women's uh, chelsea women's match review from their match at everton or against everton over the weekend uh came out on tuesdays whenever we have these types of setups. Usually we'll drop one on the Monday, one on the Tuesday. That's what happened today. Go check that out. Give us some feedback. I would love to know how you feel about your fourth choice host with the most. Uh, that would be really cool. <laughs> and then, um, and then look, uh, we play Spurs this weekend. It's one of the games that we most look forward to on the calendar. Uh, we're going to do a preview for it. Uh, perhaps Joe will stay up till four o'clock in the morning again to be a part of it. Uh, but look, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun and, uh, we're going to burn Nuno's Christmas tree to the ground on, on the weekend. So I'm very excited about that. Terrible timing. Anyways, (laughs) a moment of magic has helped Chelsea pass a tough test from the resilient, resilient Russians, as I outlined at the beginning. And look, this was not Chelsea's best performance by any means. I mean, even by some distance, if you want to measure it in feet or yards, uh, but for all the pre-match hype, for all the excitement of, you know, defending our Champions League title, uh, what was on offer was a, a listless performance against a hardened foe that seemed destined for a scoreless draw until Big Rom stepped up in the box. Sweet, sweet delivery from Aspie Laqueta. Uh And Naz I'm tweeting... I'm sorry, you, you didn't say his name correctly. Oh, okay. You? Yeah, well, technically, legally, Aspie Laqueta, also known as... We'll get into that in a second. He'll have all the section. Uh, So Naz tweeting, what a player Lukaku is. He is turning draws or losses into wins. I was just about to write how stifled Chelsea were creatively. Still probably true, Naz. Uh, He's quiet, suffocated by his system, but found his time to pounce. Joe, 
Uh, there's literally nothing more valuable in a football team than a talisman striker. Yeah, I mean, if you if you want to look at the the history of Chelsea and particularly domestically when we you know when we've won league titles, we've always had a an elite striker. You know, I don't think there were many many teams in in Premier League history you know who have actually won you know the, over a 38 game season with somebody who is who is considered top tier and. You know, the, the first uh, handful of games that we played this season, I don't think necessarily we're, we're, we're you know, kind of at our best at the moment. I know we'll get into the, that uh, sort of chat in a, in a bit, but to have somebody who is just capable of turning a game, um, impacting a game, scoring that first important goal, getting those actually goals that matter. Um, you know, I'd be quite happy if Lukaku gets 20, 25 goals this season. You know, not these sort of insane numbers that people may be predicting, but if every one of those goals is the first goal or it gets us points, etc., that's where he makes his, his money in the difference. And a game that I was fearing was was kind of petering out to, to Chelsea being able to unlock the the sort of the Zenit, uh, you know, back 10 or whatever it was at the time. You know, Lukaku just, again, finds that perfect um, angle from from Azpilicueta or Azpilicueta's uh, delivery um, and just changes the game. And, you know, you you pay that sort of money, that, that fee, that £97 million is an extortion amount of money, but you pay it for somebody who is is continuing to impact games positively in terms of goals in, in every game he's played so far this season. And you can tell, I think, as well, that when he's on the pitch, we've always got a chance of scoring. You know, he's always capable of of doing something that changes games. And you know, the the header, the the quality on on the on the delivery, but the header itself, bottom corner. Uh, you know, the the fact he was under so much pressure from defenders as well. I think this is just going to be a conversation we continue to have over the season, where we maybe haven't played the best, but Lukaku has been the difference. And you know, it's it's night and day from last season. And I think again going forward, is he's going to continue to have that sort of impact on games. I, I mean. They call him match winners for a reason. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it, he he was not at his best today. Um, but I think, you know, as, as our friend Andrew McDougal said here, the guy that we watched the Champions League final with in Porto, uh, a draw, enter RL9 equals a dub. And I, I don't know. I, I think. It's just the winners find a way to win type of mentality, you know, for me. It, it couldn't have been a fun night out there for him. Uh, there was no room to operate. You know, Zenit, <laughs> of all of our opponents this year, I think Zenit played the smartest system against him by putting two or three guys on him and by <laughs> face guarding him at all times. Uh, you know, it was it was a massive risk for him, right? But they, but they knew the threat that he posed. And, uh, you know, he somehow comes out of it you know, having one opportunity, one of our two shots on goal is a goal. I mean, and that's not the only model of efficiency, Brandon, as Simon Johnson tweeted. Right. And he's kind of doubling down on what Abby Mack said, you know, on this last episode of the Villa Review. So Simon tweets, Lukaku scored four goals for CFC from just six attempts on target this season. Clinical. Abby said the same thing, right? She was like, I think he had 25 total touches in the match, two shots, two goals. I mean, these are, these are obviously unsustainable numbers, but like, even like coming down to some kind of average is great. Uh, and so, uh, Lukaku has been, you know, far worth the money. And and it's these types of nights where you need, you know, this type of uh, player to come in and really just, you know, things aren't clicking from a total total team perspective. You still have a few more changes. You know, I don't know how much Mason and and Ziyech have played. 
Uh, even Mason and Lukaku, Ziyech only played the last match. So again, there's just a lot of things. And then when you have a team defending with five, not not a three back with wingbacks, defending with five, and then a four stacked in front of them with a pretend striker up top in the number seven shirt, it just it just makes it even more difficult. And again, kind of to that non-three-word match review honorable mention, right, from Abba21 saying, we can do it on a cold night in Stoke. This is this was kind of that test. Zenit had no interest in going out and winning this match day. We almost gifted them the opportunity to, to do so. Uh, but yet we defended resolutely and we got a shot, you know, what, two on goal, one goal? You take those every single day. It, it's funny, though. It, like, there, most of this match reminded me of the second Conte year or a lot of our offensive performances from last year. But then the winning goal, Joe, reminds me of of Mourinho one, which is, you know, you don't really give your opponent a chance to score and you go out and with one of your two shots, win the match and move on to the next one. I mean, it's it just the winning mentality really showed through there for me. Yeah, I think that the Mourinho thing is interesting. I mean, that um, was it the I can't remember if it was sorry, was sorry, Murata. I'm literally, I blanked out the sorry season so much now. Conte. <laughs> Conte, yeah. So, okay, so Conte, that that Azpilicueta to, to Morata ball. Um, he played that a couple, I don't know if it's a couple of times a game, but certainly he tried at least once a game, that 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 cross from that position. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a little bit of a different mentality about the team this season. I think these are, again, you can look at obviously Lukaku's impact as a player, but I think also... Maybe they've taken a lot of confidence from from winning the Champions League, from winning the Super Cup. And these are games possibly that we might have drawn or even actually lost at times last season, you know, conceding those one or two chances and then maybe not being able to get back in the game. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of agree that this is, it's it's having the the sort of feel of, of kind of a Mourinho and a sort of a Conte kind of rolled into one where we're not really gifting teams that many opportunities. Uh, or certainly not, we weren't gifting Zenit many opportunities in this game. Um, and then sort of trying to be clinical, win one nil, win two, win two nil, etc. Whatever that's going to be. Um, again, I th- you know, as, as we sort of progress through the season, it will be interesting to see how many how many clean sheets we have. Because again, you know, looking at sort of the the rate that Mendy is is conceding, you know, I don't know if our fifteen goal a season record is is completely under threat. But it'd be interesting to see if we actually get close to to twenty goals conceded this season in the league. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, I think, a development we've seen from a mentality standpoint in this team now. Well, again, the you mentioned it, right? Assist Pilaqueta to Morata, as, as Nick would want me to say very directly, and DPZ tweeting that, saying, on some picturesque Italian beach, Antonio Conte is smiling quietly. I thought that was the perfect... I saw the same tweet over and over and over again. This is the one that broke through to me. DPZ always with an insightful tweet. Especially when you read it in his, in his voice and, and how he would have delivered it. Uh, and Nick, you tweeted yourself about this, I believe. I think we've all had a friend that you know potentially traveled and studied abroad in, in college uh, and maybe went to Spain and came back and said Barcelona and, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, some, <laughs> Stephen Mullins quoted my Cispilicueta uh tweet from earlier it said it's pronounced assist okay and and really kind of gave it to me and then i said this but in a i just came back from study abroad in spain voice inflection please like that that's how it needs to become a fifth piloqueta you just you have a little lisp on that thing you gotta just make it nice you know tweets you tweeted as well 
Yeah, I, uh, I think I had a moment of, of clarity about Mr. Mr. Aspilicueta, let's say that. <laughs> um, I think, again, I mean, something that I've, I've personally been guilty of massively underrating him, I think, throughout his Chelsea career. But I don't think I'm probably alone in that at times. Um, but I, I tweeted uh, that Cesar Aspilicueta is, by some measure, one of the greatest pieces of business that this football club has done. And when, I, you know, when I'm thinking about sort of deals and bang for buck and what we've got from him, I mean, he's really getting close to Frank Lampard's £11 million now in terms of a, a transfer fee. Um, you know, Aspilicueta may even now be in that same sort of bracket. If we win the Club World Cup, he would have won more uh, more trophies or more, let's say, all, all trophies than, uh, than Frank, which is also something that comes into consideration when you have these conversations. But certainly for the amount of money we paid for him, the fact that he came in virtually as a completely unknown quantity, what he has proceeded to deliver in his Chelsea career in a number of different positions. Um, and I think this season and probably the back end of last season, starting to see some real proper leadership from Aspi. That was always my one one critique of him was that he was a bit too quiet of a leader for me. Now he's sort of really stepped to, to the fore. And I think, you know, the, the, the Champions League win, the Super Cup win, um, the fact that he's probably playing some of his best football in, in his Chelsea career, certainly this, this year, this calendar year, um, he's, you know, he's just evergreen. And I think, you know, to to use some of my, my Marvel references, you know, he is a little bit inevitable at times in terms of being selected and, and continuing to play. But another one to keep an eye on, contract decision obviously coming towards the end of this season. Um, I assume the club will give him a, we will give him a renewal. He's still got plenty of football left in him, it looks like. So, but uh, yeah, top, top player, top, top transfer. And uh, hopefully by the end of the season, he's lifting more silverware. Asby has been at the club for 10 years. Crazy. He, he was 22 when he joined. He is now 32. I, I'm old enough to remember when uh, some prominent Chelsea Twitter accounts wanted to um, put him on the bench and leave him there forever. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, I remember him. I have the receipts. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, look, it, it is just it's a little funny to me uh, that, you know, no matter what, this is a constant in a in a stream of uncertainty for Chelsea Football Club. I mean, th this guy literally gives everything and he's not perfect. You know, he's not our best ever player, but I mean, w when Chelsea eventually put up statues of all these people in front of our unbelievably gorgeous new stadium someday, uh, he should be one of them that gets put up. That's how I feel about him. Yeah. I definitely think the, uh, the, I'd say the sentiment is, is changing big time. Um, and I think part of that was, uh, uh <laughs> so, some of us have been here for a while. I say, how do I say, just say that? Well, in, in this week, right. It was very, um, divisively put who deserves a banner, who deserves oh, a statue. God. And I think we can all agree, at least on the day part of it. But apparently people don't think Mason deserves a banner for fuck's sake, as our friends across the pond would say. So anyways, <laughs> let's get back to the Chelsea side of it and, and specifically where we can improve because it's been two matches in a row where Chelsea have faced a physical challenge from a side that lined up and punched him in the mouth. Where did things go wrong today? I think from, from my perspective, a little bit tweeds is there's been quite a few lineup changes. Again, coming off the international break, this is the first Champions League match of the season. Um, obviously, you don't count the, the the super cup um but anyways so I, I as i look at the lineup you know you do see quite a few parts interchanging um 
And I wonder if that lack of stability is what's causing some of it because you think back to the Champions League run and, and, and you know, unbeaten streaks of 10-plus matches, it's copy-paste, right? Antonio Conte, back three, same players. Alonso, left wing back. Moses, right wing back. Everyone else is locked and loaded. I wonder if that kind of early season uncertainty is what's kind of imbalancing the team. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple of things here, so I'll, I'll try and reel through them, but... I think I'm right in saying we had the most players at the at the Euros. I think I'm, I'm right in saying that in terms of players who are in international duty. Um, you know, the bulk of our starting 11 are, you know, high-caliber international players. They've been playing football a lot over the summer. Um, coming into this season, not particularly having, you know, much much rest, not having a pre-season. Um, you know, I think Tuchel is very mindful. We know that he has these you know, red flags or red zones or what he wants to call them for players in terms of making sure that the training data and stuff like that, it, it keeps them away from being injured. He rotates them to try and keep them fresh. I think the continuity, as you've as you've said, Brandon, sort of the first couple of games, the chopping and changing, I don't think necessarily has is, is really helped that. Um, something that, that Dan and I explored on on the second episode of The Tinkerman was actually the impact of, of Lukaku in both a positive, and I don't want to say negative sense, but let's say in, in a different sense here, because you're you're now sort of playing with a, a centre forward who I think disrupts the system we we played last season a fair bit, and by that I mean that that um, you know our our entire sort of defensive structure is based on the front three pressing relentlessly, and and Lukaku isn't that kind of player. You know he's openly spoken about playing in a counter-attacking system with with Conte. Um, not being somebody who's pressing from the front, etc., and I don't think necessarily that you want him to be chasing, you know, sort of defenders around for for ninety minutes. You want those those moments of explosion. You want him to have the ability to to finish. Um, I think there's been a little bit of a cascading effect on on the rest of the team there. And then when you look at sort of in possession in particular, I think the team are very stuck between playing to a player who who wants the ball to come to him quicker. I think he, the amount of movements that he makes where the ball isn't played to him or somebody doesn't recognise a, a run or he's, you know, to, to borrow some some basketball vernacular, he posts up on a, on a centre-back and he's, he's asking for the ball. Um, and then you, you've kind of got this disconnect between the, the two number 10s, so Mason and Ziyech and, and others who I don't think have played particularly well this season, but I think that is because they're caught in between two minds of, of coming deeper to to help with the, the build-up with Jorginho, with Kovacic, with Kante. Mason plays that link role really well where he drops into a deeper pocket and then he, he sort of connects with, with sort of the front two. They're in two minds between whether coming into those pockets or whether they need to be closer to Lukaku to play off the second ball. And I think the right sort of the, the, the kind of the rhythm and sort of the way that we're playing at the moment, you can see it's it's kind of it's split between wanting to play quickly to Lukaku and wanting to play sort of the the, the cautious and very deliberate build up that we had last season that was successful. So I think it's something that Tuchel needs to have a look at, you know, the you haven't necessarily bought Lukaku just to be somebody who stands there, posts up and, and, and you know, lays balls off to, to other players. Um, equally, the strength of, of this team is in the system, is in all parts performing their their role. And, and that, for me, still does include the, the number nine pressing and being the, the lead counter-presser. So if you aren't necessarily going to get that from Lukaku, and, and the question is whether you would want him to, then I think he has to start making adaptations to the rest of the team. Because certainly the past couple of games I've seen, that, that we, we've we almost had a, a sort of a, a back seven of players and then a huge disconnect to the front three. Normally it's Mason dropping into um, sort of a slightly deeper area to act as the quote-unquote connector to the attack. Um, 
And I think that's certainly been one of the problems that we've seen. And really the last thing, again, something that Dan and I spoke about was that we're not making the most of the size of the pitch that we're playing on. If you saw today, certainly on the left-hand side, Marcus Alonso was playing within the width of the penalty area. You know, you to, to stretch a back five, to, to break down a team who wants to play with this back 10, you've got to stretch them across the width of the pitch. You've got to have players who want to run in behind. Maybe there's an argument that Timo Werner is, is somebody that can do that. And maybe we've missed his, just his ability to make that run. It's not necessarily something that I thought I'd make myself uh, say on a podcast, but maybe we've missed his ability <laughs> to stretch teams vertically. So those axes, you know, those axes of, of, of basic attacking patterns, stretching people vertically, stretching them wide. I think at the moment we're so compressed to the width of the penalty area that it's making it difficult. And whether we have the the calibre of, of passer or playmaker to to operate almost within that sort of phone box space is, is something that I'm a little bit dubious about at the moment. So it's it's a question of of finding the balance of, of playing to Lukaku's strengths but playing to the team's strengths. I think using the width better, using the verticality of the pitch better, and then also just trying to make, I think, better quality of passings. I think today that our, our passing was so sloppy at times um, you know, two, two people's feet behind them, not allowing them to, to play um, at pace, not allowing them to run onto the ball. So there's a few little technical details, but I do think that there is going to be a, a time where we need to figure out what is the right balance between using Lukaku's full strengths, playing him as a, as a focal point, and then looking at how we, we build from deep through the, the two number 10s or whether they need to be supporting Lukaku. With Lukaku, I mean, if you're going to get this type of return, it's hard not to play into that. Yeah, right? exactly, yeah. And as you... And as you go through that and we think back how much pressing Werner did do, you know, and we really didn't let teams get out of their own half a lot of the time. And that was one thing we said about Timo. He would just run. He was always committed. It seemed like he never got down at all the chances that we missed collectively as a team. But he did bag, you know, quite a few assists. So credit where credit's due. Um, but with Lukaku, if he's going to have the end result just like locked and loaded, ready to go, I mean, Nick, at some point, you, you you have to figure out how to build the rest of that team around that because you said you call him a match winner. We call him a talisman. You know, points were gained tonight because he was able to sit in the box. You know, he was involved in attack and play and things like that, but in and around the penalty box is where you need Lukaku so he can cook. Yeah, I, as Joe's talking there, it kind of screams to me, and it, it did most of the evening as well, that having two number 10s in this style of play where you're so ball dominant, right? Um, and you're and you're living, I mean, we lived in Zenit's half yeah. the entire game. You don't need two number 10s. You need another forward like Kai or Timo um, up there with Big Rom to help take away some of the threat from, you know, putting three or four people on, on Big Rom. I mean, it, you know, there were times where Ziyech was such a non-factor that they didn't even mark him today you know and same with mason who we'll yeah. talk about in a second who who was equally bad i mean there there were there were plenty of times where they were just like oh, you guys we're not worried about you guys we're worried about him um so it, it a three five two makes a lot more sense to me with someone like mason or like christian or like ziesh in that number 10 spot connecting to the midfield and hopefully freeing up we're confusing at the very least, uh, you know, some sort of back three or back five setup. To someone's gonna have to step out to take that person. Uh, so that would be my my counter to that. Is like when when you have Alonzo and Reese out wide, as Joe said, you gotta let them just maintain that space out there. You don't need someone else running right next to them. Just play with two strikers. Well, then you got Aspie filling that void as well, dropping dime assists in. Uh, I mean, it's a great spot, top of the six. You know, put it up nice and high so Lukaku could go get it. 
Uh, it worked out well. I mean, you touched on it there, Nick. You know, Mount was wasteful and out of it. Ziyech was a non-factor. Um, Alonzo didn't score a hat trick like we expect from him these days. <laughs> but it, it's embarrassing, really. But in all fairness, um, tweets. I blame England for Mount's problems, and I blame England just as much as I blame U.S. for Pulisic's lack of fitness right now. You know, playing a lot of matches, you're getting a lot of training in there, and I mean, it wears these guys down, and then they have to, you know, we didn't, you know, see much uh, of these guys because they have to recover before they get back in it. And it's just like this is a new season, such a crucial time. Like, we want people gelling right now, and we just, I don't know about you, but it seems like Nick, Dan, and I always complain about that September international date oh, every yeah. season. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the the interesting thing about Mason at the moment, I don't think he started the season particularly particularly well by his standards, but... He's played 120 matches. That's also the the other part there is that he he's massively, massively overplayed at the moment. Um, I, I, again, I think, you know, explaining the part about, about Lukaku, I don't think really, at least I'm completely misremembering here, but I don't think any of our number 10s have played particularly well with, with Lukaku at the moment. So going back to, to that sort of, maybe it's a structure, maybe it's the instructions, I'm questioning a little bit sort of Tuchel maybe needs to work again on what sort of the priorities are there. I just see that the both players appear a little bit in, in two minds in terms of are they coming deep to to help to, to set the attack, to build the attack? Are they meant to be be playing off of Lukaku um, and being caught in no man's land? And then I think, as you say, you know, there are heavy touches with Mason at the moment, touches that we we don't necessarily associate with him. Um, you know, being in some you know some decent positions and and sort of tired crosses and tired sort of chips into the box. Um, yeah, I mean, again, it, it's a question I think of of him needing uh, a possible rest, and, and maybe that is a it's an option that moves you to be able to to use in two strikers, as Nick was saying there. Um, you know, if if we aren't going to play with with a ton of width anyway, um, you know, Reese Reese is a good crosser, but he's not a traditional wing back in that he's going to be you know an Ashri Fakimi or whoever who's going to be like a winger and take people on. Alonso maybe is going to swap for Chilwell at some point. They're not they're not kind of wing 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 backs in the sense you know that they want to really attack people. So if you're not going to play with width, then maybe just try and dominate more centrally. Play two actual strikers. Um, don't don't you know ask you know kind of Kaya playing as a as a number 10 when he's sort of doing number nine things rather than you know, just having players a number nine and then sort of do that kind of nine and a half ten row he does uh, or Timo or whoever it might be up top but play with two distinct forwards and try to maybe get a bit more of a uh, passing options in central midfield by adding another body but I, I kind of you know kind of agree with Nick here I think the one lost thing in terms of you know sort of breaking teams down that second half when it, it really was like a training exercise, I, I really do question the, the need to have seven defensive players on the pitch at times. You know, we do have five defenders. We do have two holding players. And I think as much as, as I certainly think Kovacic is improving his range of passing and his vision, when the game gets stagnant in the final third, neither Jorginho or, or Kovacic have got that ability to break teams down. We've seen it for such a long period. And I, I would say the same with Alonso and Rhys James. They're not going to beat players like a Hazard or a proper winger. They're not, they're not going to beat people and get into dangerous areas. It's I think we, we just look too static. So again, I would question maybe if there is a, a secondary formation up the sleeves because we are going to play a lot of teams this season who do defend with every single person behind the ball and we're going to come up with the same questions and and whether the answer is always going to be that cross is, is a different story. Look, the point of the wingbacks isn't to beat players. It's to quickly switch the ball from one side to the other where you now have 
numbers up situation, right? We want to be in a situation where Alonzo is all the way up that that outside back for Zena or whomever has to choose. Do I go with Kai, Mount, Ziyech, whoever, but then I have Alonzo, then he just runs free, right? He can stay deep on the back post where we see him usually around the penalty spot. But now we're plus one in these areas that creates those those matchups that, that favor Chelsea. So again, Joe's point, they're not supposed to be dynamic, electric, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Eden Hazard, uh, even Christian Pulisic where beat players get past them. It's more about creating overloads in that sense. Um, I guess anyone else you guys want to touch on that maybe we didn't in, in this section yet? I, I mean, just on Ziyech, who is, you know, obviously didn't, you know, had a really good preseason, got injured in the Super Cup, and then has made a couple of appearances since. I, I mean, to, to be fair to Saul from the weekend, uh, both of both Mason and Ziyech had Saul-esque performances today. That is not um, I think a standard he, he is hoping to <laughs> carry. I, I mean, I mean, fair is fair though. Everyone knows I love Mason Mount. Everyone knows I stand for Mason Mount, and that he is—he's my guy. I'm guy. You know, he's on my shirt this year. But it is, you know, I, I think it, if if uh, Tuchel would have pulled either one of them at halftime, you'd have been like, yeah, that makes sense. Like they were both pretty bad. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I think on Ziyech, because we, we've already kind of touched on Mount here, non-factor, didn't threaten at all. They weren't worried about him. Uh, it was clear that, you know, he got stuck out on the right, him and Reese did the same interchange about 1,500 times, <laughs> and it went nowhere. And, you know, he, he has to figure it out because the time will come where – Tuchel trusts Werner again or plays Kai or we only play with 110. And, you know, he could find himself right back where he was at the end of last year, which is just playing every fourth or fifth match. And that's that's not going to be good enough for him. So that is uh, that is up to him to kind of be better. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that, Nick. I, I think today, and I think even going back to the Villa game, for, for a player that you're buying probably sort of in the peak of or, you know, approaching the peak of their career... It's, it's the decision-making for me that I'm questioning at the moment. You know, it's the the not playing the pass. It's taking shots from stupid areas on the pitch. It's, it's it's I mean, was was it, I can't remember if it was the day or Villa game, where actually it was the day where he, he, the ball came to him in the air and, and instead of just turning like a normal human being, he tried to do some sort of Cruyff turn and whatever and just completely messed up the, the situation there. Um, I see this a little bit with some players and I think Memphis Depay going to Manchester United is a good comparison here where they're such a dominant or ball-dominant player at the previous club in terms of their usage of possession. So, you know, they have the final shot, the final pass, you know, being the the guy is the, who, who effectively uses the ball last. Um, that When they come to, to Chelsea and there are players who are either better or there are players who are equally as good as him, having to step back into a role where you're more of a facilitator than the guy who is using possession all the time, I think that's been a bit of a, a difficult adjustment for him. And, you know, again... I think to, to Nick's point, great preseason. I actually think he was having a good game in the Super Cup before he got taken off. But, you know, mm-hmm. the story of his Chelsea career at the moment seems to be an inability to recover that sort of momentum that he builds post-injury. He had it the last time he was injured, 
think he had a, a good game, uh, a couple of good games, got injured, and then really, really wasn't sort of the same player. Um, but again, you know, just just a complete non-entity in the game. As I say, you know, th- these two number ten positions are going to be crucial to see what Tuchel does with them over the next couple of months. How how he sort of starts linking the play, how they interact with Lukaku, how they interact with the pivot players. Um, and if your you know your end product is getting tackled, giving away possession, taking silly shots, not playing the right pass, etc., consistently, then I, I can't really see a, a concrete place for you in the team. And even in you know in terms of coming off the bench as a as a sort of an impact player as well. So very very telling times of him. But the last two games haven't been particularly great from him. And you know I was quite high on him coming into the season. I felt that he might have just turned a corner, turned a corner in pre-season. Um, but obviously what we're seeing now is is not necessarily anywhere near those sorts of standards we were maybe hoping that he would sort of approach or, or get near. Again, I've been yelled at for calling him a luxury player, but he has next to no defensive traits and doesn't offer much going the opposite way. So again, Eden Hazard justified his ability to not defend because <laughs> He literally could go win a match for you. Just he would spin Coughlin and then off he goes, running at the center backs, little dink, we're in. Um, Ziesh doesn't have that, you know, whether it's free kicks or, you know, incisive pass. I mean, if I were him, take a page out of Day's book. Just put it on Lukaku's head. That's all you have Especially to do. Especially from, from a similar position, too. I mean, he has yeah. that in his locker. I mean, he and could it's easily have won that left foot. Yeah, which is even harder for a defender to pick right. up. Right, and much easier for the striker to take on because the ball is heading that way. So uh, again, well, well and there's there's no there's no late run into the box right now either, which is what he was doing in preseason that I loved. Which is you know if the cross comes across and and Rom is taking near post and he goes far post, it's an open net for him. But he's not even doing that right now, and so it's just yeah, it's it's a real challenge for him. It's not to say that he can't get back. I, I assume that he will. Every good footballer goes through you know tough patches but none of the stuff that he was doing that made him a threat in preseason is translating and you just hope that it's not a Barkley yeah, type I, situation. I still remember how he drove at us in that Champions League game and was like a threat on the end line we just I don't know he's he seems to be floating on the fringes rather than like really getting involved and and we've seen him do it so Again, I said, I've also said, like, you keep him on the roster for Champions League. He's just such a better fit for European competition than Premier League. But if we can't get it in the Champions League, well, then shit. I mean, we're we're having honest discussions. Should Ziyech start the Champions League final because of what he had done in the run up to that point? And he didn't, and it was the right call. But, like, this season, we got to see it. We, we need to see more from the Wizard. But uh, what about some final thoughts? It, it was good to see Chilwell and Ruben get a few minutes. Obviously, a big uh, kind of talking point about Ben Chilwell. Matt Law dropped the 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 piece on Chili B and what he's been going through. Uh, obviously, it's been a bit worrying not to have him feature uh, until the sixth competitive fixture of the season. But it sounds like we might need be in a better spot with Chilwell tweets. It, I don't know. It seems like Tuchel talked pretty openly and honestly about his situation. The Matt Law piece that I read today mirrored a lot of what was said. So I, I feel like there's open and honest communication. This isn't like a freeze out where Chilwell's sitting on the sideline going, what the hell happened? Yeah, no, I, I was actually, I was reading the Simon Johnson tweet on the page. <laughs> yeah, this this has been a bit of a, uh, I think, a peculiar one. Um I get the sort of the, you know, the the mental concerns and, and that sort of nature. But I mean, a guy who what, his last kicker for football would have been in the Champions League final, you know, no, didn't didn't do anything for 
for England. I assume he would have come back in physically in good shape. Chirwell strikes him as a good professional. Um, yeah, I, I Did don't you see his photos this summer? He was living it up. I mean, good for him. Well earned. But I mean, Joe, I'm just saying, I think he probably came back a little fatigued from that boat in Ibiza. <laughs> I would say I'm, I'm not as dedicated a follower on, uh, on Instagram as, as maybe Brandon is, unfortunately. So I, Damn. maybe I missed out some of some of that partying. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, ultimately, I mean, I look at performances like today from Alonso. And I know that we, we go through that phase every season where he turns into the world's best player for maybe two matches and scores some worldies. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just hoping now that that kind of Alonso performance has given Chirwell the... The, the slight uh, open door that he needs to step back into into the team. But yeah, I mean, you know, mental fatigue or whatever you want to say in terms of, of him not playing. Um, hopefully today was the first step towards playing because I think we'll... I'm just going to say we, we probably need him versus Spurs, but that is Alonso's fixture. So maybe he he kind of uh, is, is sitting on the bench again for another game. But it's good to see him back. And I think hopefully he'll take over that role and add a bit more dynamism and a bit more athleticism there. Um, you know, probably... Maybe a bit harsh to point out, but you know the big chance did come from Alonso getting absolutely murdered on the on the left hand side there by I can't remember the guy who it was, but uh, yeah, he got absolutely done one on one, and uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of hoping Chilwell steps back into the fold. Yeah, I mean you can't play Alonso every match for an entire season; it's it's crazy, and we we kind of know that the flow last season was, you know, Alonso starts, Chilwell gets his feet wet, and gets in there for a long period of time. Maybe struggles. Alonzo comes back in, plays all right. Chelwo comes back in. I mean, like you're, you're going to see rotation there. It, there's no way that he's going to get frozen out. He's he's a 50 million pound plus left back, so he'll be all right. But to Joe's point, you don't bench him against Spurs. So it no, I agree. <laughs> it might be I one agree. More, one more. Uh, Chile needs to look uh, ahead in the fixture list a, a little bit further. Um, but again, Carabao Cup. Here we come. <laughs> Uh, Simon Johnson uh, tweeted, we put this in the script, Loftus-Cheek made his first appearance for Chelsea in front of the fans at Stamford Bridge since May 2019. It may not have been How a How fucking lot. depressing is that? It's depressing. It's not been an easy go for Ruben, but it is good to see no. Tuchel put him in. You know, um, it is good to see, even if they're some late minutes. I mean, he's now, you would say, ahead of Ross Barkley. Uh, you put him <laughs> in ahead of Saul. Yeah, true. Uh, so, I, you know, silver lining. Well, it, interesting to know, too, that he is a, under this system, he's a 10. Right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. He's, he's, not, he's not playing in the two midfield roles. He's probably not competing there. But he's an interesting proposition and I, I hope we get to see him in the Carabao Cup, the, you know, the following week against Villa. Um, he's an interesting proposition up there. We know he can score. We know he can run at opponents. So, you know, maybe he'll get some time there. All right. Well, Dan of the match poll here. So we had it versus Zenit. Four options. They're perfect. I'll reply saying otherwise, get out of my office. <laughs> get my out of office message because Dan is, well, still out of the office watching it from his resort. Uh, so he had uh, Aspi, Lequeta, Kovacic, Lukaku, and Rudiger in that order. Uh, Aspi taking 6%, Rudiger taking 21%, Kovacic taking 28%, and Lukaku with a 45%. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Any qualms, Joe? I might have gone with, with Rudiger or, or Kova. Um, Same. 
I think, I mean, again, Lukaku is the match winner. You can't really argue with, I think he got the, the television man of the match as well from what I saw. But I think Rudiger made one ridiculous challenge. Uh, I don't know if it was first half or second half, but he made a ridiculous tackle. Um, plus, I think he just played generally, generally played pretty well. And I thought Cover, Cover had a good game. Um, I wasn't quite on board the Aston Villa loving with with Cover. Um, but today was probably the, the most complete performance I've had from him for a while. And certainly defensively, uh, much, much better than, than the Villa game. So I think Cover also deserves a, a shout out from me. Yeah, I think Rudiger would have been mine. Okay, you're star of the match. Can you not get us sued? All right, someone has rights to player of the match. My Dan of the match would have been Rudiger. So miss me with your lawsuits, <laughs> idiots. We made up our own. Oh, it's smart. I mean, we are just clearly ahead of our time. Uh, so the group table as it stands, Juve will take first place on goal difference, uh, beating Malma three to nil. Uh, Chelsea in second, uh, both of us on three points. Zenit in third for having lost by less goals uh, on zero points and Malma on zero points as well. So um, I guess, Tweeds, is this group shaking out to be the way you see it as Zenit third, Malmo fourth, and then Chelsea and Juventus to fight for one and two? Yeah, I think Zenit are going to be an interesting prospect. I, I, I heard a stat, and I've not confirmed it, so please don't hold hold this to me, um, that they hadn't actually been beaten for six months prior to tonight. So they're actually a pretty, pretty tough team. Um, I think that they will actually give Juventus problems. I don't think Juventus are... The, the team that, that, that we've sort of grown accustomed to, to seeing and certainly the post-Ronaldo era. Um, so, I mean, my my gut saying Chelsea, Juve, maybe Zenit as the as the dark horse there, but certainly Malmo will be the uh, the team at the bottom there. But uh, yeah, interesting group. I think Juventus is, you know, losing Ronaldo has done us a big favour there. We should hopefully have this tied up fairly soon. Um, it'd be nice to have those kind of dead rubber games at the end where we can just play whoever and just rotate teams or, or rotate uh, players in as well. But uh, yeah, top two, Chelsea, uh, Juventus, Zenit maybe above Juventus if if they play well, uh, Malmo in fourth. I could not confirm that unbeaten run. I just assumed that because of the Russian league schedule, they hadn't played in six months. So maybe that was the cheeky way around <laughs> it. But uh, I, I mean, I, w- I will say, I think they're going to give Juve trouble. I mean, they, if they if they do what they did today, I mean, yeah, who knows? Really tough team. Who knows what will happen? Juve have had a very poor start to Serie A as well. Yeah, domestically so. pathetic. Um, All right, well, that's going to wrap up this episode, though. Uh, Just to make sure you're aware, uh, Chelsea will be heading to Juventus uh, on the 29th of September. So uh, that'll kind of be the the next one we have. Uh, But again, there's still more to come this week with our episodes. Big one against uh, Spurs at the weekend. Uh, Again, if you're new to this team, uh, that's a big one. We call that a rivalry match. Uh, And Mm -hmm. uh, especially the way Tottenham started the season looking strong getting pumped by Crystal Palace, maybe bringing them down to earth a little bit. I think this will be really important for us to uh, continue to kick them down the table uh, where they really should be. I think it was a bit of an overreach, them being at the top of the table after two weeks. So A bit. <laughs> a bit of an overreach. Uh, yeah. So anyways, hopefully we'll uh, have tweets back on later. But anyways, Joe, thanks for staying up and joining us. We really, really appreciate the effort. No, it's fine, guys. Uh, yeah, it's the same. I'm, put, I'm putting this holiday to good use. So uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was good fun as always. All right. Appreciate that, Nick. Thank you, Dan. Enjoy yourself. Keep your legs kicked up and relaxed. But anyway, Chelsea fans, that's going to wrap for us this week. So until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.